You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. And uh, it's always good to be back home. You know, after leading a church for 17 years, even as I pray, sometimes I, I'll be praying for the church we led, and then I'll pray, Lord, Lord bless our church. And it's a jo- delight and joy that I don't go back to that. I remember Redemption City is our church. It's our church home. It's where we belong. And I love the way God does those things. So this morning, I had some things that TK asked me about two months ago to preach, and I had something I really felt God was going to have me share And then about a week and a half ago, I just felt him beginning to shift and change what he has for us. So I trust this morning, much of it will not be new, but that it will stir you, it will challenge you, it will will raise us up as God's people to walk in all that he has for us. Amen? So prepare yourselves, get your Bibles ready, and let's jump in. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. I'm reading, I'll read uh, out of the NLT, the New Living Translation, as well as the NIV Um, The guys will have it up behind, but try and jump along in your Bibles. Years ago, when we first got saved, we were part of a church at the time called Christian Chapel of Walnut Valley, which became Southlands. Uh, Tyron and I were in eldership together there, and God did a lot of works in our foundations in that place. And at the time, Steve Barr, Steve and Terry Barr, they lead a church in Placerville, California. Steve is an incredible teacher, uh, an incredible man. If you want statistics, he's the man. Well, I remember so well, one of the things he taught is that we opened up the scriptures. He said, guys, so often we want the chunks of scripture. We want to take on paragraphs of it. What we need to understand about God's word is every word, every word has a purpose and a point and power to it. And it began to help me to read the scriptures differently, began to look at things differently. I had read through the the epistles, the, the books written by Paul many, many times. You know, at the beginning of the books, it says, it says, this letter's from Paul, and it goes on, and Paul, chosen by God, and I'd kind of skip through that, the, the yeah, yeah, let's get to the good stuff. But what God began to show me a while back was reminding me of that truth that every word of God is powerful and effective and has a work in us. And as I began to open up these epistles over and over again, Paul addressing this letter, it began to stand out to me, friends, that a book to say, this letter is from Paul is one of the most profound declarations of the things that Jesus has done for his church to remember and to see. Because you see, it's not just this letter from Paul, some guy who wrote a book. This letter is from Paul, who used to be Saul. He was the great persecutor of the church. He was the man that chased down families, women and children, dragged them out of their churches, imprisoned them, put them to death, stood by as Stephen was stoned to death, and he gave approval to it. He was a wrong man, a bad man, a man who thought he was doing what was right, but was doing things that were incredibly wrong. And so when I see this letter's from Paul, I don't just go, yeah, he's another guy. I think this letter's from Paul. He was the persecutor of the church, and yet on the road to Damascus to bring people to what he thought was justice, he met Jesus Christ. And Jesus spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my church? And Saul fell upon his knees and said, Lord, who are you? He said, I am Jesus. And when Paul stood up and opened his eyes, he was blind. And he was brought into a town. 
And for three days he was blind, and God spoke to a man named Ananias and said, Ananias, you're to go pray for Paul, or for Saul at that time. And Ananias, in the way that he should have responded, said, uh, Lord, that's the guy who's coming to kill us, and you want me to go pray for him. It's a natural reaction, a normal reaction. They were terrified of Saul. They were terrified when he came to town. They were terrified to hear that he had letters in his hands coming to their town to find those Christians and to root out this horrible Jesus thing. And yet now Ananias is being told, go lay your hands upon him because I have something for him. And Ananias put his hands upon Paul's head and Paul's sight was restored, not just physically, but he began to see the living Savior, Jesus Christ. He began to see the wrong way he had been going, but found, had been found in Christ. Friends, when we open up these letters, when we read the books, when we read what Paul wrote, this letter is from Paul. We have to be struck again by the reality of what God is declaring by having him say that. He could have just put the writer of. He could have not put his name, but there's a reason the Spirit of God had him put. This letter is from Paul. I, Paul. Because, friends, I believe for each and every one of us, the message God has for us today is we are each letters yet to be written to give glory to God and to touch the people around us. There are letters of our lives that are to say, I, Tim, was once this, but now I am not. I was once going this way, but now I am walking in the things of God. Friends, we are meant to put our names in there, not to rewrite Scripture, but to carry out the calling that God has given us. You with me? There is so much more to this. And as the people read this letter, you have to imagine at the churches as the letter came. And they ran in and said, we've got a letter, we've got another letter that's come. And they opened it up and said, this letter's from Paul. It wasn't, all right, get to the good stuff. You can just see them going, Paul, Paul. That's, you know, that's the guy. He used to persecute the church. He used to drag people away and kill them. To the Jews, he, to the Jewish Christians, he was the one they were terrified of. And there were many amongst them going, should we trust him? Is this guy for real? Can Jesus really save a man like that? To the religious, he made them uncomfortable. They would go, this letter's from Paul. Oh, I knew Paul. I studied with Paul. He was one of us. And then something got a hold of him and changed him and made him into this Jesus nut. And then the Gentiles would say, Paul, I don't know what these Jews are on about, but he's the guy that was, he, he was dr almost drowned at sea. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. I mean, I've heard stories of this Paul guy. I mean, he was in prison for us to bring us the gospel. He gave his life, he put his life on the line to reach us with this gospel. This letter's from Paul. There was a difference in the way they heard what was about to come. There was a difference in the way they responded to what came. And friends, I want to say to us that when people hear our name, it should elicit something in them that reminds them of what Jesus has done. It should elicit in them, gosh, and I'm, I'm trying not to pick on people in particular, but and I'm, I think I'll do this prophetically. But I think Christine, oh, Christine, man, she's been through things, but the love she has for God. Oh, you see the way she loves people. You see the way she cares for people. The way she looks after kids. The way that God, the way she worships. You see, when our letter is opened by people around us, when they look into our lives, 
There should be an effect that happens. There should be a reminding of the King of Kings and the redemptive salvation that he's given to us all. And it should encourage the believers and challenge the unbelievers. Five simple words. This letter is from Paul and what God can do through it. And friends, I must say, it's hard to stay in this little cage. I see why you guys run down here. I think for us we can, I know for us, because I know for myself, we can get so caught up in the world we live in, so distracted, that we lose sight of this letter that is yet to be written. Parts of it have been written, but there's more to come. And friends, I believe this morning, God, there's four things God just wants to stir in his challenges, put before us again, so that we begin to live out this life and write this letter in such a way that people and churches and nations will be impacted by the life we live for the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? And again, that 2 Timothy 1.1, it goes on, it says, This letter's from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle, to be a sent one of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. The first point, the first thing I believe for us is we need to pray and ask, God, help me to comprehend the power of the salvation that you've given to me. Friends, we need to renew every day the incredible power of the salvation of Jesus Christ. What that means. Why was it that Paul was saved on that road and it says, for three days he stayed and then he immediately went and preached? What was it that set him so afire for God that not prison, not shipwrecks, not the threat of death, nothing could keep him from preaching the gospel? What was it that gripped him? And I believe it's because he day by day sat there and said, God, I once was this, but only by your grace am I now a servant of Jesus Christ. Friends, I look in the mirror every day. And I remember who I was. And I don't go back there. I don't dwell there. I'm not condemned by it. But I think, thank you, God, that you saved me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I wasn't on that path. But you came and you brought me to you. And friends, each and every one of us, whether your story is as far from God as mine was or not, we are each redeemed only by the grace of Jesus Christ. And the more we can comprehend and grasp that, the more we are enamored by what he has done again, the more it will stir us and push us and prod us to get on with the call to see that letter written for his glory. What did he save you from? And from some of you, maybe you grew up in the church, good, but you still are a sinner in need of a savior. And there may not be things that you were involved in that he saved you from, but there were things you would have been involved in that he's kept you from through his salvation. You can look at others around you, not looking down on them, but realizing I could be lost. I could be out there lost from Christ, but I'm not by his grace. And the letter that is being written is, I, Joel, I, Joel, uh, chosen by God, sent out to bring the gospel to the world, by his grace was brought up in a house where they loved Jesus. And because of that great salvation that I gave myself to, he kept me from falling away. He kept me from running after the wrong things. He kept me on the right course. You see, the salvation of Jesus reaches the lost and those who are walking in the life of the church. It's meant to embrace us all. Don't long for a bad testimony. Or I guess a good testimony. (laughs) 
I wish I could change mine. But he uses it anyway. Just listen a little. Ephesians 1, 4 through 8. Just Paul talking about this great salvation we've been given. It says, even before God made the world, he loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Before he created anything, he loved us. Friends, we struggle to love ourselves on a daily basis. And yet God, knowing all the foolish, wretched, sinful things we would do, loved us before we were born and chose us. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Friends, your salvation is not something any of us can earn. It is given because Jesus sacrificed himself in our place. He gave his blood for us and for all who would receive him. There's not a person that has ever lived or will ever live that is beyond the reach of this salvation. The blood of Jesus is enough for the worst of sinners. Amen? He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Something Tyron has shared a few places we've been. This salvation doesn't change a bad person into a good one. It breathes life into a dead soul. It transforms us. The path I was on, the, the, the things I was doing, the things I was pursuing, when I came to Jesus, he absolutely transformed me. Some things were instantaneous, some things were over time so that I wouldn't go back to them, but I was transformed when I came to salvation. And friends, our expectation, our understanding of this salvation must be that it isn't making you behave well. If your Christianity has been about behavior, you've missed the point. Because not one of us can act perfectly well. We can pretend, we can hide, we can come to church and glory, glory to Jesus and go home and do everything we shouldn't. But once we, if we have encountered the risen Savior, He forever changes everything in us. He brings out who we were made to be. He doesn't make us weird. He doesn't make us part of a cult. He doesn't make us act like somebody else. He actually makes us into who He created us to be in the first place. The insecurities begin to go because we're founded in our identity in Him. Our pursuits begin to change because we want to serve and glorify Him and we want to tell people about Him instead of just fulfilling this flesh that's never satisfied. This is a transforming gospel. And there's not a soul on this earth that if they embrace and meet with the risen Savior won't be forever changed. Friends, we have to comprehend and just meditate daily. That word's been hijacked by others, but meditate daily upon who he is, what he has done, and the depth of this salvation. Because then no matter who we encounter, we'll say, if he saved me, he can save you. And people will be transformed by a transformed person. I remember when I first got saved, 
my friends and fa or family would always go to, to Cheryl and say, you've done such a great job changing Chris. Changing him from a really bad guy into a, well, an okay guy. And she would just say, it's not me. It's God. And she's right. My wife is a gem and a blessing, and God used her to, to, to soften my heart to get me ready for him. But she didn't change me. God did. Thank goodness. We celebrate 26 years of marriage this next month. But as far as I know, at least five generations back, the fathers always left. They left our home. My dad left when I was three. My uh, ancestors five generations back, the mom and kids came here from England without dad, and it carried on. And I would have carried on that legacy, but Jesus transformed me. Mm, what a good God. What a good God. Let people look at your life and say, that was whatever your name is. They used to be this, but look at what God has done. Number two, we need to realize the redemptive power of this gospel. It saves us. It transforms us. But it also redeems us. Because you see, friends, not one of us was created without purpose and plan. God doesn't do anything without a plan and a purpose in it. He is God. He is almighty. He is the alpha and the omega. He knows all things. Everything about you, even the things you despise, God says, I put that in you because I have purpose in it. And you see, when we pursue the things of this world, we most of the time run from what God actually made us for. The devil doesn't want us to fulfill our purpose. God does. Because when we fulfill our purpose, we bring glory to him. And when we come to Jesus and we are saved and transformed, he redeems our lives from the pit. He redeems our purpose, takes it and says, this is what I made you for. And you see, if we keep that before us, our expectation isn't, well, at least now I go to church and I'll get to heaven. Yes, Lord, you have saved me. You are transforming me, which is a process our entire lives. But Lord, now that you saved me, what am I here for? Listen in 1 Timothy what uh, Paul says. First, he's speaking to Timothy, encouraging him. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Friends, please hear this from the right ears. I can only imagine it sometimes brings me to tears because I've said this myself, not in his, Paul's eloquence, but that he considered me trustworthy with his gospel, that he considered me trustworthy with his people, that he considered me. I would have been happy to sweep the floors if I could just be in his house, but that he considered us trustworthy with his gospel, with his glory, and appointed us to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That's Paul's nice way of saying, listen and respond to this. Embrace it. It's truth. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. 
It's been said, friends, we are trophies of His grace. It is in our salvation. It is in the transformation that takes place in our lives. But it is also in the redeeming of God's purpose for our lives that people around us begin to see the letter written and begin to be touched by what's said. Regardless of how you came to Christ, He has chosen you and me to carry His message and to change the world. See, there is a devil. There is an enemy. And the smartest thing he's done is trick the church into believing he doesn't exist. We don't worship him. We don't give him any platform. But the reality is, is he is on a, a, a passionate pursuit to destroy everything of God. That means God's purpose in your life. So he will convince you as best he can and condemn you and remind you of where you came from, not for the purpose of bringing glory to what God's done, but to try and bring you back there again. And I want to tell you this morning, through the Word of God and through the redemptive power of this gospel, you have been redeemed. You are not who you used to be. You are born again. The old is gone. The new has come. You and I are new creations in Jesus Christ, redeemed for His purposes. Amen. Amen. And if any of us in here look in the mirror and think, not me, not me, couldn't be me, God couldn't use me, you're wrong. He made you for that purpose. And the things that the enemy constantly pokes at and prods at you and tells you, oh, that's, that's wrong, that, they're not going to listen to you, they're not going to use you, you can't do it. Remember what you did? Tell him, I am not who I used to be. You can keep talking to the dead one in the ground, go for it. But I am in Christ, and I am called and redeemed by him. I want to tell you this morning, there are priests in this room, all of us, called and created by God for purpose, men and women of God. And he will take the testament of, yes, what you used to do, and yes, what you wish you could change, and he will use it to open doors into people's lives that no one else could get into. I have sat with many people who said, you will never understand. And I said, why don't you try me? And usually I've been somewhere near the neighborhood they used to live in, if you get my meaning. Friends, you are redeemed. Remember the redemption that God has given to you. Number three, we need to recognize the need for this message. The world is desperate for answers. And sadly, we as the church at times, I mean, I'm speaking generally, we at the church at times have gotten duped into trying to do it the world's way. We'll we'll act more like them. We'll dress more like them. We'll do stuff more like them. We'll curb our sermons. We won't preach the Bible directly. We'll bring up articles and we'll write books. Friends, there can be good in some of those things, but the truth remains. The world does not need our best efforts. The world needs Jesus. Amen? The world is looking for identity, and the world's ideas, as we all know, is, oh my goodness. But our identity is never found until we discover who Jesus is. Once we come and realize you are Messiah, Jesus, my Savior, then he can tell you who you are. Because your identity is not founded then in what you are, where you came from, who your parents are. It's founded in him. Friends, the world needs Jesus. You want to tear down the walls of hatred and racial division, then look through the eyes of God who created black and white and yellow and red and every color on the face of the earth with joy. You know, it's tempting. Facebook is one of those places, it's, it's this lure that keeps like, just put something out there. Just put something on there and, and see what happens. 
But let me tell you, so often I just want to say the two simple things. The greatest commandment would change this nation in an instant. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Because you see, if we love him, we are accountable to one who is greater than us and accountable to his word. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not hate, thou shalt not covet, shalt not lust. All those things will become a part of who we are. And then guess what? The lawmakers don't have to work so hard to keep us in line. Because we've got one who we're holding true to. And then if we love our neighbor, we don't look at them with hatred and disgust. We look at them with, how can I be a blessing to them? Our neighbors came this morning and we're grateful to see them. But let me tell you, our neighbor Tammy got together. To her it was something small, but to my wife it was a treasure. As we've been through this time and she's just been facing the difficulties of the surgery and things, at our doorstep she finds this little gift and a little card. And it just melted my wife. It's because she loved her neighbor more than herself. Was it convenient? Was it something she needed to go do? Not in the way of the world, but because it was on our heart, because that's the way we should live. Friends, the world needs this message that we've been given. This world needs Jesus. Number four. And this is the challenge, if you haven't already been challenged. We need to take a hold of that for which Christ took a hold of us. Each and every one of us, when we came to Christ, He drew us in. He saved us. He transformed us. He redeemed us. He stirred and gave us a message. But let me, let me read as Paul says here. And Paul, he's, he's talking about, you know, people brag about this and they brag about that. And if anybody could brag, I could brag. Paul says, I was, I was taught by the best teachers. I was the, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, the religious guy of the day. Everybody knew who I was. I could speak. I could talk. I could gather an audience. All of that I had. But I consider it all worthless, all as garbage in comparison to the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul had come to the revelation that nothing is as important as knowing Jesus. Nothing is as valuable. And he, he carries on and he says, he talks about that pursuit, but he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. And I know that many religious groups, they take Paul and Peter and others and make them into all sorts of things they were never meant to be. But Paul knew who he was. He knew he wasn't perfect. He knew he was just a man saved by the grace of God called. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Friends, let me, let me give you some really, really good news it was good news to me when I got saved. Jesus didn't save us so we could sit on our backsides in these seats. He didn't save us so we could fill church buildings on a Sunday. He saved us so we could lay our lives down and serve the purposes of his kingdom and take the gospel to the ends of the earth so that he can come back and so that everyone who's destined to be saved can be saved. The good news is you and I have been called to great things for his name great purposes. And it may be to go to the ends of the earth and preach to a village that's never heard of him. And it may be just to go and love on your co-worker and bring them the love of Jesus when they need it most. But friends, we have been chosen. We have been taken a hold of by Jesus for a reason. And these, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to belittle these times. These are essential because this is our time. We come together, we get into the huddle and say, all right, God, what do you want us to do? But we break and we go for the rest of the six and three-quarter days of the week. And that's 
where the impact is made. That's where you have to say, Lord, I want to take a hold of why I work here and why I live here and why you've called me here and why I'm going on this trip and why I'll have a heart for this nation. God, I want to take a hold of those things. Because you see, if we, if we grasp a little more the salvation we've been given and we understand the redemption that is before us and we understand the world is desperately in need to hear about Jesus and we look and we go, all right, God, you took a hold of me to tell the world about you. We, the priesthood, have to rise up, have to take a hold of those things. And let me encourage you, it is not burdensome. It is not, oh gosh, more church stuff. It's not. It's Jesus stuff. Have you ever seen people be healed who couldn't walk? Have you ever seen legs grow back in your hands? Have you ever seen people's sight be restored in front of you? I have. And that's just a taste of what the king wants to do in the world around us. Have you ever seen thousands of people coming to salvation? People who are running from God, running back to God. Friends, it is the greatest thing ever to do. You could give me $10 million and it would never compare to one soul that is redeemed from the pit of hell and discovers their destiny. You want to be into something exciting, serve the king. You want to be into something that changes the world, serve the king. You want to be a part of something that is eternal in its very nature, serve the king with everything in you. In case you didn't know, I am passionate. It comes out once in a while. He goes on and says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but there's one thing I do, and that's forgetting what is behind and straining toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Friends, we are not in competition with each other, but let's run this race to win. Let's run this race to win souls, win lives, win neighborhoods, win cities, win nations for the King of Kings and take the gospel where he's called us to. I'm landing. I'm way up there, but I'm landing. As I said earlier, friends, there are letters waiting to be written. Not rewriting scripture, but just the letter of our lives. You know, writing a letter and putting it in the mailbox, many of our kids would be like, what are you talking about? Even email's gone out the door at this point. But the lives we live is, is the letter we write. And friends, it's time for us to begin to let that letter truly be written. Not I, Chris, got saved this date, went to church, died, went to heaven. It's a pretty short letter, pretty boring. There's a lot that God wants to put into the letter of what he's done through our lives. So the question there is how can I, how can my life, my letter impact and affect me? It has to begin with us. Let the reality of what Jesus has done grip us again. Change us again. Confront yourself with who you used to be and what he's done and how he saved you. For some, it will set you free. For some, it will bring you back to that place of the excitement that when you first got saved, that spurred you on to tell people about him. Friends, be foolish. Be that weirdo at the family parties that does nothing but talk about Jesus. Pray for people who are sick. When they tell you I'm sick, don't say, oh, here's some medicine. Go see the doctor. Can I pray for you? And then if God leads them, they can go see their doctor. Oh, so the God doctor can say, well, you were sick and now you're healed. I don't understand. Well, let me tell you. Friends, it is time for us to let God begin his work in us. How can my life, how can my letter affect my family and friends? How can my letter affect my church? Every single one of you are called and placed here by God. 
It's not by chance. We may think we're pretty smart. I chose this church and I came here. It says in the scriptures that he chose the time and the place where we would be. Friends, you're here by the will of God. What are you going to do? He's called you to big things. And it may not be to, to stand up here and preach. It may not be to play. But let me tell you, when uh, Angelica greets people at the door, it's a huge thing. There's a smile. There's a joy. There's a love in her. She wraps her arm around people. It changes people because her letter's being written. And I came into the church, and there was this wonderful angel named Angelica who loved me and hugged me and, and welcomed me to church. And I came back because she was there, a letter being written that's changing people around us. What is the letter for you in the life of this church? Your workplaces, your school, what's your letter? Why are you there? I think of my son Zach and I think, Lord, just use him where the, his teammates, we came to know Christ because Zach was on our team. I, I know Joel and Josh, part of their letter already written was they were on the soccer team and they honored God and they prayed and people came to know Jesus and even their coach was touched by who they were because their letter was written about him where God had placed them. And then, of course, there's always the nations. What nation is to be impacted by the letter that God wants to write through you? And I'll finish with this. Friends, let all of our letters conclude with this, as Paul says. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Friends, we're not going to receive all the stuff here on earth serving God. But to stand before the King of kings, the creator of all things, who saved wretches like us. And to be able to lay at his feet not silver and gold and jobs and careers and everything else, but the precious people that he died for. What a privilege. What a blessing. And to receive the crown of righteousness, well done, my good and faithful servant. And to be able to say to the king, Father, thank you for using me, for saving me, for loving me. Friends, let's go and write the letter that will glorify him and change the world. Amen? Amen. Thanks. Let me pray for us real quick. Let's stand together. Just posture yourselves to focus on him. Maybe eyes closed, whatever's easier. Firstly, this morning, if you've been walking out of salvation of works, religion, trying to make God happy and make yourself good, let freedom come this morning. Let this be a time when you let the finished work of the cross be finished. If this morning you're here, and you are, but if this morning you've struggled through that, you've struggled with the trying to please God thing over and over and over again, but today you've begun to understand it's been done already. Jesus has done the work. Or maybe today you've never known God. You've never known Jesus. You've never walked with him. You've even gone to church but never actually known Jesus and known his salvation. This morning, we want to give you the opportunity to respond. Without others looking around, I'm just going to ask you so that I can pray for you. Just lift your hand up. Just say, Lord, I want to walk with you in freedom. Thank you. Lord, I want to know you more. This morning, I want to give my life to you, Jesus, and never look back. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This morning, I know the 
the reality in every church and every people group and every bit of the church is the doubt that the enemy sows. Would God use me? How could God use me? Friends, put the doubt aside. It is not about you and your abilities. It's about the God that made you and his ability to take even your weakest things and use them for his glory, to take even your worst decisions and turn them for the good. This morning, if you want to say, Lord, I lay down the past and I look ahead to what you have for me. I embrace the full redemption that you've given me, my life redeemed for your glory. Just slip up your hand this morning. Just say, Lord, that's me. I want to walk in all you have for me. This is not salvation. This is taking a hold of what God has for you. Lord, right now I pray for all who are responding that, Lord, you would break off the chains, break off the past, break off the condemnation and the lies of the enemy that hold them back, that today would be a day they can begin to run in the things of God. They can begin to run with freedom. Look back almost like a child laughing and giddy as they they run away from what held them and they begin to run freely in the things of your kingdom. And Father, I pray you stir in all of us as we think, as we see the news and we hear about our world around us. People look to politicians, they look to this, they look to that. Lord, this morning we turn our eyes back to you. And I pray, Lord, you put within us in the right way an aching that what our world needs not more of man, not religion, not politics. It needs Jesus. This gospel, this salvation, this truth that truly sets people free.